0: Welcome to Crossroads. We are excited that you have taken your time and joined us on this hot Sunday in July. And yes, I have a sweater on and yes, it's okay. All right. So there you go. Uh, I just have to say that because people said, aren't you hot? No, I'm okay. You can say, oh, Randy, you look so hot. Yeah, I'll take that. You know. So anyway, we're excited that you're here. Again, we want to welcome those who are joining us online, Facebook Live, because literally we have people join us from around the world. So if you have your uh, smartphone in your hand now and you can share this feed from our feed to your feed, from our page to your page. That's always helpful. I'm going to ask you to do that. And for those watching online, I'm going to encourage you to do that as well again, because I think today's message is going to land and it's going to hit home with a bunch of you. Let me start by asking you a question. Have have you ever come to a place in life where you said, you know what, I've got to rethink something? I mean, have you ever reached a point in life where you, you had this idea about something, you, you've had something in your mind, or maybe you, have an, you had an idea about somebody, and, and, and you, just, you went several months, you went several years, uh, and you said, you know what, I, I just really need to rethink that. Now, for some of you, that could have been like yesterday. For some of you, a couple of weeks ago. For some of you, a couple of years ago. You just said, you know what, I just need to think about that differently. Let, let, me, let me tell you, it, it happened to me, uh, and it happened several years ago, it was about 20 years ago, that I, I kept hearing about someone who, who came with this grand resume of accomplishments, and And what was really interesting to me is is every time I turned around i, I was hearing uh this person's name it was being dropped into a conversation uh and and then people were saying you know Th- this person is doing this and this person's involved in that and 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 uh, you know it, it it was just so interesting because the name kept popping up and honestly it it didn't stop there as I was hearing about this person uh and their influence and their life it seemed that every time I opened a newspaper. I would see their picture. I would see an article about something that this person had done or something this person was actually doing. Uh, and on a personal level, we're talking about somebody that I had never met personally. It was just somebody that, you know, my friends, my, my, my circle of influence, the people I knew, the people I hung out with, the people I were in business with, uh, th- they were the ones telling me about this individual. And then I had the opportunity I had the opportunity to actually meet the person that I had heard all of these grandiose things about. I actually had the opportunity to meet them in person. Now, remember, I already had my mind made up about what kind of person this were, th- what kind of person they were, based on everything that I had seen uh, in newspapers, everything that I had heard uh, talked about, everything that people had said about them. But then I met them, and when I was in their presence. With only a few words coming out of their mouth, I walked away and went, wow. What a, was I wrong? I mean, what a jerk. I mean, what, what a jerk this person was. How can somebody think that this person... Is all the things that I've heard in a bag of chips. I mean, again, my interaction with them was terrible. And because of that meeting, the first time I was introduced to them, from that point on, whenever I came in contact with them, I want you to hear what I did. I avoided them. I just totally avoided them. And then something happened several months or maybe a year later. I started running into this person on a regular basis. I don't remember what happened. Something changed, but there was some involvement that I was involved in, and they were involved in. And I started running to, into them in a, on a regular basis. And, and when I ran into them on a regular basis, I would always because remember, I didn't li- I didn't like what I had heard. I didn't like what I saw when I actually met them in person. Knowing that I didn't like them, I just con- you know just consciously every time they would be around me, I would just normally just try to keep the conversation very just very cordial. I wanted to move them on their way because I hadn't liked what I had seen and I hadn't liked what I had heard about this individual. But then one day, and I don't remember the reason, but then one day the conversation was kind of forced, and, and when I say it was forced, the conversation between me and this inv- individual was forced to go a little deeper. And and one day I realized that on the surface, this person appeared to be one thing. But underneath the surface, they were somebody totally different than what I thought they were. And it made me look back because it was in that conversation where that conversation went a little deeper. It was then that I realized that all of that time I had been wrong. And i was forced i was actually forced to rethink my ideas as it relates to this person and who they really were and and here's the thing this morning whether you're in the room whether you're watching whether you're listening online i would say that if we're going to be honest with ourselves this morning this is really a place where we've all been i mean I, i think we've all had that time in our life where we want to admit those those times or not but but there have been a time in our life there was a time in our life where we just realized that, you know what, I need to stop. I need to stop. And I, I, I just need to look at what I've been thinking about the situation or an individual. And I just need to say to myself, you know what? It's time. It's time for me to rethink this. It, it's time for me to start looking at those things. It's start, time for me to start looking at that person a little differently. We say to ourselves, all, for, for whatever reason, whatever's happened, all of this time, I've been wrong. And for so long, we've had this idea that we knew exactly how something was or the way it should be. But for whatever reason, we reached a place and something happened. And when something happened, that something was the catalyst to stop and Rethink now. Let me just say if, if this is your first time at Crossroads, or if you're one of the lucky ones and you've been on vacation the last couple of weeks uh, or for the last couple of months, uh, and, we, and we've got lots of people out, we've got people in back from St. Thomas, we've got people in St. John, we've got people in California, we've got people in Florida, we've got people all over the world. But the last couple of weeks, We have actually spent our time diving into what is probably one of the most unpopular topics in the Christian world. Because here's the thing. In the church, people want to hear about prosperity and and good health and beautiful marriages uh, they, that, that's the kind of things they want people to preach that's what they want to hear from me to you that's what people want me to to talk about but here's the thing many times as it relates to the topics that i'm going to talk about i'm going to talk about the things that are going on in my life i'm going to talk about how following Jesus is real. And not only is it real, there are some days that following Jesus is really, really difficult. And this is one of those topics that for most followers of Jesus Christ, this is one of the topics that people don't want to hear about. Because we spent our time the last two weeks talking about brokenness. And and during this series of messages, we've been looking at what it feels like. What, what, What does life feel like when we have this picture and we have this pattern and we have this, this you know A to B to C that, that life is beautiful and, and, and we're going there. But what does it feel like? What does it look like to know? We, we, we got light issues and we're having to deal with that, so they'll take them back down in just a moment. But what does it feel like when something in our life changes and it feels like that thing that we thought was ours is just taken from us? I mean, think about it, because you can relate to this. We're just just going through life. And and all of a sudden, something like our health, our, our job, our relationship, something that as a follower of Jesus, that as a Christian, we just felt like, you know what, that's something that we were entitled to. Something that in the Christian life, in following Jesus, that it was something that was ours, and we had a firm grip on that. And suddenly, something in life changes, and almost instantly, it's like that thing that we felt was ours just suddenly it disappears. Or at least something happens. And when it happens, that thing that we thought was ours is not the same as it was. Things change. And things aren't the way that they were. Because for many of us, We stepped into this thing that we called faith. We we, we started following Jesus, and and we did it with an expectation that when I start to follow Jesus, nothing bad is going to happen in my life. See, a lot of people uh, place their faith in Jesus Christ, and and, and for some reason they have this idea that the bad things aren't going to happen to me now. The bad things are the things that happen to the other people. But because I follow Jesus— I'm going to be one of those people that is kind of insulated from the difficult things actually happening to me. And here's what that was. It was seeing that happen in the lives of people that I loved and cared about. It's seeing that happen in my own life that it actually caused me to stop and rethink something that I had this perception of in my life. And and it really caused me to stop and to, to rethink a word. And it's a word that you know. It's the word that we talked about last week. And that word is hope. You see, I saw bad things happen to good people. I had bad things happen to me. And that was the catalyst for me to stop and to reevaluate and not only reevaluate, but really to rethink. What does hope really mean? How do I find hope when things in my life aren't like I thought they were going to be? How do I hold on to hope when God isn't showing up in my life the way that I thought God was going to show up in my life? Because, see, here's the thing, I, I, I think we're all guilty, I think most of us in this room and those watching with us online are guilty of attaching hope to God doing something in our lives where that when God steps in, everything's going to get turned around and everything's going to be okay. I mean, I think as a follower of Jesus, we've we've just attached hope to when a bad situation comes, then God's going to be like the Lone Ranger and God's going to come in to the rescue and God's going to turn everything around. It's when things are bad that you're expecting God to show up in your life. In other words, what you're doing is you're, you're hoping. Hope has been about God doing what I wanted, the way that I wanted when I want it. It, it. It's almost as though I've equated hope to driving my car into the mechanic. You know, when you have a problem with your car, you drive your car into the mechanic on Monday, and the mechanic calls you on Tuesday, and you pick it up, and everything's going to be okay. I think that's the way many of us have looked at hope. As Christians in the Western Hemisphere, The thing that we want is instant gratification. The thing that you want right now more than anything else as it relates to what's happening in our community, in our state, and in our nation, and even in the world. What do you want more than anything else? You want things to get back to normal. And think about it. In a way, that's just the way that we, even as followers of Jesus, that's the way that we've looked at hope. But it's seeing that, I wa- that what I want to happen doesn't always happen. That it's caused me to, to actually rethink the way that God is actually working. And I said it last week that maybe, just maybe, what the Bible wants for us to hope for in this life is far different than what many of us think at this moment. You know, one of the verses that is often tossed around by many Christians that that I know, and and what's really interesting is you even see parts of this verse on memes, on t-shirts, on bumper stickers, but, but this is one of those verses that a lot of Christians know, and this is one of those verses that people who don't even call themselves a follower of Jesus, a lot of people know this verse because they've seen this verse, put on countless publications, or like I said, on bumper stickers or t-shirts. It's just one of those verses that people see uh, all the time. And again, when I see this verse, and when I see those t-shirts and those bumper stickers, I'm reminded of the entirety of this verse on a regular basis. And it's a verse that's actually written by the Apostle Paul. And many of you probably already know what I'm going to say, because this is one of those verses that you have used when bad things happen to you. Here's what Paul wrote in Romans 8:28, And here's what he said. And he said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. Again, I, I can't tell you how many times that I get a text message or I get a call or I get an email and somebody has had something bad happen to them, something that they thought was there, something that was normal in their life has been turned upside down. And in the course of the conversation, however that conversation goes, they will oftentimes throw out a piece of this verse. They'll say, Randy, I, I know it's bad, but but I just cannot, I can hold on to the fact. That God works for good. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I don't know why my husband left. I don't know why my health. I don't know why my job. But I just know that God works for good. So I'm just going to trust that God is working in this situation, whatever the situation may be. I'm just going to trust that God is working in this situation in my life. That's a verse that people use. People use that when bad things happen in their life. Why would people use that verse? But Because in a way, that, that's a verse that allows us to deaden the pain of what it is we're going through. It, it, it allows us to, to hold on to that verse and to deal with the situation that has been dealt to us. It allows us to deaden the pain and deal with the situation when hope seems to be lost. But then I came across some writings of a spiritual guide, a French spiritual guide by the name of Jean-Pierre de Gossard. And this is a guy who's just a spiritual guide. He lived like 200 years ago. And, and, and what was interesting to me is that th- this guy, I'm going to call him Digasaw, D-E, and you spell his name, C-A-U-S-S-A-D-E. He, he just had his own way of, of, of taking what Paul had taught over 2,000 years ago. And he kind of just put that in his own words. And, and, and it was really when I read his words that I started to get clarity as to what it was that Paul truly meant. He said that in all things. See, D'Gossard said this, this French spiritual uh, writer said that in all things. What, what are all things? We're talking about all things. The death of a parent, the loss of a job the fact that we're losing our health. He said all things, that all things that are in the hand of God, that all of those things work together for good, for people whose primary agenda is to spend their life glorifying God. All things in the hand of God work together for good. For those who, listen, this is is key. For those who long to enjoy him as they enjoy no one else and to reveal him to others in every relational encounter. See, it's much deeper than just saying all things work together for good. Because here's the thing, if we're to find hope, when things in life don't go like we expected them to. If we're to find hope when, when the things that we thought as a follower of Jesus were ours, when those things are taken away from us. If we're to be able to move on with peace and purpose in our hearts. If we're going to be able to move forward when our hearts are broken and we're experiencing what I call an indescribable pain then here's what we have to do. As a follower of Jesus, we have to take the teachings of the Apostle Paul and we take that statement that I read to you by this French spiritual writer, Degasad, and we must take and make those life-sustaining truths that are just part of our life. Because listen to what I'm about to say. the road of understanding, the road of you being able to understand what God is doing in your life is a very narrow road. The road for you to comprehend what it is God is doing in your life right now is a very narrow road. It's not like getting on an airplane and flying from one continent to another in a matter of hours. Following God in your life, following God and his activity in our lives can be a very narrow, bumpy road that very few people follow. So perhaps the hope that we long to be a part of our lives, perhaps that hope is so much different than what the Bible wants for us. Could it be that what we're meant to learn is that true hope, the, the, the richest hope, is not about getting what you want, but it's actually a hope that permits the deepest suffering Which then in that suffering releases the strongest power. Which then produces the greatest joy. And see, maybe we need to realize. There's no shortcut to joy. Maybe that's the thing we really need to understand. There's no shortcut to joy. Maybe when God isn't doing what we thought he ought to do. Maybe when God isn't showing up the way that we thought he ought to show up. Maybe when things look their absolute worst, maybe it's then that we should not lose hope. Maybe when things look their absolute worst and God seems absent or uncaring. Maybe it's in that moment that we're supposed to hold on to hope like never before. Because maybe around us, listen to me, somebody, listen, listen. Maybe around us in the worst of circumstances, there's a plan in your life that's unfolding, and you can't see the plan. But if we could see it as clear as God sees it, We might still hurt. We might still suffer. But if we could see it as God sees it, we wouldn't lose hope. Maybe if we could see what God is doing, we would remain faithful. Even when those things in life that we thought were ours, our job, our health, our relationships, our marriages, when those things are taken from us, Because I want to tell you this morning, Crossroads, whether you're here or whether you're at home, maybe it's time for us to rethink hope. If you were to ask me personally, I would tell you that one of the most most amazing stories of hope found in Scripture is actually found in this four-chapter book. It's the book of Ruth. And, and I'm going to be totally honest with you guys this morning and tell you that until I became a pastor, I wasn't one of the, Ruth wasn't one of those books of the Bible that I just naturally gravitated to. But it, it, it's the story. Again, it's only four chapters. And again, I'm going to encourage you. I didn't even encourage the first service to do this. But I'm going to encourage you this week. Take some time and read the book of Ruth. It's four chapters. It's just a story. A- and it's a story about a family family. And after the first time I read this story, I, you know, it was just natural. I almost had the Gilligan's Island theme song on my mind. I mean, that's that's kind of what, you know, I mean, that's kind of what I thought. I finished the book of Ruth, which is only four chapters, and it was like immediately I was humming. Just sit right back and you hear the tale, the tale of a faithful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. It just It just fits. Although these people didn't leave from a port and they didn't leave on a ship. It's just the story of a family who's going on a trip that should have been really simple. You see, the book of Ruth is simply the story of a family who started on the trip that should have been just fine. So without reading the entire story, let let me set up what we have happening in the story. The story is about Naomi and her family. Naomi and her family are leaving Bethlehem and they're heading to Moab. You see, there was a famine that had occurred in Bethlehem. And that's really what kind of prompted. There hadn't been any rain. There was a little food. Uh, again, people were struggling to survive. And so the fact that they could leave that country or that area and go to Moab, another part of the country, and, and hopefully take care of their family, that, that's, that's the crux of the story. Say, so, no, no, Naomi was the wife of Elimelech. And I'm going to tell you, let me just tell you this. By the time I get, I'm glad I'm not doing three services now because then I really butcher names in the third service. I'm really bad. I practice these. As a matter of fact, I went online this morning and had them sound out by Google so I would pronounce them correctly. I'm terrible at names. So if I mess them up, just go with it, okay? Naomi was the wife of Elimelech, and they had two sons. Now, the area around Bethlehem where they lived had been hit hard by this drought. So they're looking for a place where they could support and raise the family. And if there's any word that you would describe this family that's about to make the move from Bethlehem to Moab, this was a family that I'm going to tell you, this was a family that was full of hope. They were filled with hope. Naomi had envisioned that the move to Moab was going to be just what they needed, and not only was the move going to be just what they needed, the move was going to be just a short-time move. It It was just going to be something that happened for a while, just until the rains returned to Bethlehem. Then she and her family would go back to Bethlehem. They would go back home. It would be her, her husband, Elimelech, and her two sons that would be making this trip. But Naomi got to thinking, you know, I got two sons, and we're going to Moab. Maybe I'll come back with a couple of daughter-in-laws. Because you see, the country of Moab had lost thousands of men. And not just any men. They had lost thousands of young men in a battle with Israel. So the availability of women in Moab was going to be good. It was, it was like four to one. And if you're a man looking for a woman, that's going to be good. You're not going to need Bumbler. You're not going to need a Bumble. You're not going to need Tender. You're not going to need any of those things. I mean, the, plen- the women were plentiful in Moab. So we can naturally assume that as Naomi left Bethlehem for Moab, she thought, you know what, this trip is easy. I'm going to move my family there. We're going to be able to support. We're going to be able to sustain ourselves. I might pick up a couple of daughter-in-laws, and we're just going to move back. It's a no-brainer. It wouldn't be long until she and her family would return. Everything was going to be fine. I mean, isn't that what Gilligan and the Skipper thought? Everything's just going to be fine. But then something happens. Life happens. The surprises that happen to all of us that aren't pleasant. Because shortly after Naomi and her family reach Moab, her husband dies. Now think about it. The husband that she had asked God for, the husband that she had prayed for, The husband that she had been given is dead. That's terrible. It's it's just terrible. But, but, But guess what happened? Then something great on the heels of that, something bad happens, but then something great happens. Her two sons actually both met girls in the land of Moab, and both of her sons got married. So could it be that Naomi was starting to think like you and I do? Could she look at the fact that she had lost her husband, and that was bad, but now her two sons have gotten married, which is good, could she have started thinking like I do, well, surely nothing else can happen that's bad? Could she be thinking that if the blessings keep coming, my sons have got wives now, and they're blessed, and I'm blessed. Could she, she? Could she naturally start thinking if the blessing keep if the blessings keep coming? Then surely I can endure the pain of losing my husband. God knows that we can't handle one more trial to come our way. And God knows that you know. He's not going to give us more than we can handle. Of course, we know that's not biblical. We've taught that here. But a lot of people believe that. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Well, let me tell you this. If God wouldn't give you more than you can handle, you wouldn't need God, right? So Naomi looks at the situation. And just like us, listen to what Naomi does. Naomi puts her eyes on the blessings. Blessings. She puts her eye, her focus on the blessings, because the blessings, she thinks, are the things that are going to get her through the tough times. She starts looking for God to do what she wants, when she wants, the way that she wants it. And in a way, what she's doing is looking for that God we've been talking about the last two weeks. She's looking for a God that will meet her on the candy aisle. And then it happens. The writer doesn't tell us how it happened, but it happens. Both of her sons die. We don't know what happened. They're just dead. And in about 71 Hebrew words, we see the most important things in Naomi's life. The most important things in Naomi's life are snatched out of her hand. They're taken from her. Look at Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilgon. They were Bethlehemites, or that word there, Ephrites. That's the one I was having trouble saying this morning, Ephrites from Bethlehem. They were Bethlehemites. They were from Judah. And they went to Moab from Bethlehem, and they lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah. I know you thought Oprah. It's not Oprah, okay? One named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And look at what it says. And Naomi was left without. Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now you think you got it bad. But everything in her life was taken from her. It's like somebody came into her life and robbed her. And and, and I think if, if we're honest, there are many of us in this room, many of you watching and joining us online, who would say, you know what, I feel the same way. This is the way that many of us feel. I mean, think about it, when the the relationship falls apart, when the marriage falls apart, when the doctor gives us the news, when something in our life that is all we've ever known or all we've ever had possession of is taken from us, we immediately look to the heavens and we say, where are you, God? God, you could have done something, but you didn't. God, you could have seen to it that I had everything that I wanted, but God, you didn't see that I had what I wanted. And see, I think that just like us, Naomi was looking for a God that would meet her on the candy aisle. Some God that would come into her life and and make all of the dreams that she had pictured for her life, she wanted that kind of God that would make all of those dreams come true. Because all that she had ever longed for was a husband a life, a family, some children, some grandchildren. And what we see in the story is in a matter of a few short years, everything that she had hoped for, everything that she had dreamed about being a part of her life, all of it is taken from her. And just reading the story of Naomi, for me, it brings to the to the surface, some truths. And let me tell you this morning, I think these are truths that we all must experience if we're going to be people who develop and grow into peace and power and unspeakable joy despite the circumstances that might come our way. If we are to be a community that is that is joyfully broken, then we need to be the people that when people look at our lives, that the way that we live our lives speaks to other people and tells them because of the way that we hold on to hope that we believe that the gospel is true. Our life actually to other people reveals that the gospel is true. And it's these truths That if we will allow them to make their way into our lives. When hope seems all but lost. I think it's just so important. And let me just tell you. Let me just say this this morning. These are truths that I have extracted in my reading of the story of Naomi. Those first five verses of chapter one. And I want to give you six truths that I believe need to be a part of your life. These six biblical truths will allow you to live your life when things in life aren't going the way that you thought they were going to go or God isn't showing up the way that you thought he was. Here's the very first thing. The very first truth is this. Sometimes the things that we value most, those things have to fall apart so that we can grow. If you want to grow spiritually, if God's going to grow you spiritually, then sometimes the thing that you have placed the most value of on, those things have to fall apart so that you can grow spiritually. The things that we dream about the most, must be fully abandoned if we are truly going to know God and know him well. That's the first biblical truth that I see in the story of Naomi. The second is this. This will make you feel good. After everything terrible comes something wonderful. After everything terrible is something wonderful. But that wonderful, it usually surfaces the clearest in the suffering that you're going through. It makes me think about pain. And here's what I'll tell you about pain. You're going to go through things with your health, with your job, with your career, with your family, with your marriage that are going to cause you an indescribable amount of pain. And here's what I want you to hear me say. Pain is not an absence of faith. Pain is the evidence that you're just normal. All of us are going to experience pain. Let me give you the third truth. The fact that we don't always get what we want. usually pushes us toward God. I shouldn't even put the word usually in there. The, thing, the, the, the fact that you don't get what you want will push you towards God. Let me give you the fourth one. It's only during times of suffering that we recognize and enjoy life. Again, I see this from the story of, uh, of Naomi. Look at the next one, number five. This is, this is really good. You really need to get onto this. Most people never discover true life. But as a believer, we possess it. But even though we're a believer, not many of us experience true life. The sixth thing is this. And again a bunch of you need to hold on to this one you can do nothing about your past amen didn't that feel good you can do nothing about it but keep in mind that even though you can do nothing about your past the future is always available I wish I could expound on all of those, and I may expound on some of those next week. But as I close this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you and tell you that Naomi, I think, was probably just like you and me. I think it goes without saying that, that Naomi was just like us. She wanted God to do things in her life that would make her happy. I mean, think about it. Given the option, that's what we all want. I mean, given the option this morning, everybody in this building and everybody who's joining us online, given the option, all of us want God to do things that will make us happy. We want to be like kids on Christmas morning. God, just keep the presents coming. God, just keep the blessings coming. Give me what I want. Do what I need you to do so that I can be happy. And unbelievably, when we signed up for the Christian life, that's what many of us thought we signed up for bad things happen to the other people. The other people lose their jobs. The other people get cancer. It's the other couple who goes through a nasty divorce. It's the other people who have a friend that betrays them. But see, here's what I believe it comes down to. I believe it comes down to this. Listen to what I'm about to say. God's best is available only to those who sacrifice. God's best is available only to those who are willing to sacrifice what is merely good. See, if you're satisfied with good health, godly children, good marriages, close friendships, well-paying jobs, and success, If you're satisfied what is good, you're never going to hunger for what's best. If you're satisfied for the merely good, you'll never hunger for God's best. And if you don't hunger for God's best, listen, you will never worship. So we go back to those 10 words. And those 10 words go like this. I've come to believe that only broken people truly worship. Only broken people truly worship. Only the broken people are the ones who actually enter into his presence. Because here's the thing. The unbroken people, the happy people, They end up enjoying the blessings and not the one who blesses them. That's why I've come to believe that only broken people truly worship. And some of you this morning entered this building broken Because your health isn't what it used to be. Your career isn't what it used to be. Your marriage isn't what it used to be. But I'm going to tell you this morning, even though you might not be getting what you want, the way you want it, in the timing that you want it, God is still doing something in your life. After something terrible comes something wonderful. But that wonderful usually comes in the suffering. And that's the place that many of you find yourself. Would you bow your head and pray with me, please? God, many of us in this room, many of us online, We don't want to hear about the suffering. We don't want to hear about the sacrifice. We want to hear about the blessing. But God, this morning, we're hearing about the one who blesses. The source of every blessing in life. The source of salvation. Who gave his son so that we could walk in freedom. And we could experience eternity. God, this very short story of Naomi and her family. It just gives us that biblical insight that many of us need. That there's purpose in the pain. There's purpose in the suffering. And if we can just hold on to hope, if we can just rethink what hope really is, And what it means. May God, we will experience the things that you have for us in this life. We realize that the best is going to be waiting for us in heaven. But in this moment, in this life, we can follow you and the plan that you have for us. And that plan involves sacrifice. Not satisfying for the merely good but waiting for what is best. God, surround those in this room, those watching, joining us online that are going through a difficult time, whatever that time may be. Give them the strength, the courage that they need to keep pressing forward. We spend this time in worship, worshiping the one true God as we cry out to you, God. Name of your son. That's where we ask this prayer. In his name, the name of Jesus.